Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. It's a win that probably shouldn't have been a win, but thanks to Sam Montembeau, we're here talking about the Montreal Canadiens grabbing two points off the Buffalo Sabres. They're back to 500. This team is not the same team as last year. They are actually fun to watch, despite the fact that they aren't that great. And I think they're going to be continuing to give us games like this, where they battle and they find ways to grab points. It's going to be pretty fun. All right, we got a great show for you tonight. Uh, joined by Marco D'Amico. He's going to join me in a second here. We're going to talk about Sam Montembeau because obviously we have a lot of Sam Montembeau fans in the stream chat every night for this game. Caden Gooley scored his first NHL goal. We'll talk about that. We got to you know give a shout out to loyal listener Kay, who is a giant Caden Gooley stan, who sat through the last two episodes where we were talking about his poor on ice numbers, and now gets to celebrate his first NHL goal. We're going to talk about Mike Hoffman. Because you can't not talk about Mike Hoffman. And, of course, I want to talk about Josh Anderson. Because I've been noticing a lot lot of stuff in his game this season that I am very impressed with. So, let's uh, start the show. But first, i got to tell you about Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction, Canada's sportsbook. Football continues. The World Series is around the corner and they've dropped the puck on the hockey season. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Made for Canadians by Canadians, Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. Ontario only. Please play responsibly. All right, let's welcome in Marco D'Amico from Montreal Hockey Now. How you doing, Marco? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing great. I mean, last year at this point in time, I believe the Canadians had one win in eight games and almost every game was torture to watch. So it's a lot more fun to do the show this year. Yeah, I could, I could definitely imagine. I mean, third periods like that, you know, kind of give you that second wind, um, just, you know, watching, you were mentioning Caden Gooley. I mean, I think that woke everybody up because there was a second period lull there. And then as the Canadians started kind of getting momentum back in the third, those are the kinds of games you look for. Those are the character building games that Kent Hughes was talking about. And, Obviously, you have a guy like Caden Gooley scoring that big of a goal. That's what you want to see from them. I know not a lot of people want to see the Ws, but that's what you want to see from them. Yeah, I, I think people are going to have to get used to the fact that it's not going to be like last year, right? Where they're not going to lose 60 games, I believe is what they lost last year. It, it's just, it's hard to be that bad. It wouldn't They wouldn't have been that bad last year if they didn't have actual record for man games lost right like everything yeah. went wrong last year some of these kids they're going to develop over the course of the year they're going to win games that maybe they wouldn't have won last year or even two years ago so there's going to be it's not going to be as easy to be a bottom three team this year i think it, they obviously need to be in the bottom five you want to have a good chance at those lottery odds but you can't guarantee the lottery so Live with what you have, enjoy the moments, and enjoy games like this where you can watch Sam Montebo, who had, I think, probably the worst year of anybody last year, had to play through those injuries, got absolutely shelled game in and game out, and frankly, he got shelled tonight, but he stopped almost everything. I thought he was absolutely chaotic in the net, but he was on it tonight. Yeah, I mean, that's that kind of style, you're going to have games like tonight, and then you're going to have games like we seen him have in the past so 
what I enjoyed is, you know, he never gave up on a play. I think last year you saw it a few times where things were a little bit more difficult in terms of tracking the puck, um, you know, making sure he was making the right lateral movement. Sometimes it'd be going left when the puck was going right. Tonight he was on it. He tracked the puck. He was moving, I thought, really well. And the other thing is the defense supported him. And I think Mm -hmm. that was the biggest difference this year than last year is that the defensive support, even from the forwards, the forwards are playing much lower uh, this year than they did last year. And that's really kind of helping with rebound control and stopping the second chance generation. But I mean, without a Samuel Montembeau, this is a fourth or five, one game by the end of the first period. It's, it was really just, you know, if, if we go and look back maybe tomorrow and look at the, uh, the expected goals saved above average, he's probably sitting at like a three right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny to watch how one player, I mean, especially a goaltender, but one player can change the course of a game. Right. And, you know, you talked about Caden Gooley, obviously Sam Montembeau in that first period, he was spectacular in that first period. I feel like the Canadians in the second period, on the one hand, were lucky to get out of that tide. But on the other hand, I think they had the two best scoring chances the, the entire period, yeah. both of them from Sean Monaghan. But uh, I guess that's just the way this kind of game goes, right? It was a bit of a track meet. I, I will say one thing that was utterly shocking to me, especially through the first two periods, was how many Canadians' passes went right onto Sabre's sticks. It was absurdly bad. Specifically, Rasmus Dahlin, in my like the amount of, of takeaways from him, you know, might not have been counted, but that you were able to see just him breaking up plays, catching up to plays. Um, you know, it was, it was really one of those guys that has been seen as purely offensive in the past and has now really kind of round out his defensive game. And that kind of pressure that they were putting on the Canadians really allowed them to kind of cough up the puck, I would say, a little easier. We saw a little bit more hesitation in their offensive game tonight. I, I think that's what the second period was all about. They had the prime chances to put scoring chances in and they would fumble the puck. Uh, that extra, you know, that extra mm-hmm. tuck to try and take the shot off. It wasn't crisp tonight. Like, if it, I feel like, uh, you know, Tage Thompson could have had maybe two goals if he would have held on to the puck a little less long. Um, yeah. And so that, you know, creates situations where you have the Canadians like Sean Monaghan, you know, and shorthanded, uh, you know, a, a few times with uh, with Brendan Gallagher and Christian Dvorak, they're, they're able to kind of come around on the counterattack and, and, and be as effective as they can because, again, there's that hesitancy. And, you know, I don't know if it's coming back from a road trip, your first game at home, and you just feel a little sluggish, uh, or it was just, you know, nerves. But I felt like this was a very winnable game for the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, I, I feel like Darlene and Power were probably their two Oof. best players overall. They just controlled the puck like crazy in every zone. But yet, I mean, watching Thompson, he's one hell of a player. But every time I watch him, my, I come away with one thought. If I was defending Tage Thompson, and I'm not going to say that it's easy because the man's a giant. But if I yeah. was defending him, I would just assume he's going to make the extra move and try to be there before he makes the move. Right, like exactly. if he, like he's gonna try to deke, just put your stick out. You know, like he's gonna go for it. Try to anticipate a little bit, because that guy has no filter for like when he should stop making the extra move, which is great. You want to see that skill in the NHL, but 
he never decides to like pick his spots. He's just like, I'm gonna do it every time, every time, extra move. And he kept getting caught on on that side. And I feel like one of the things that was most striking was on the power play. Like it was easy to box him out on the power play because you knew he was gonna go to the outside move, then come back in, and an active stick was just there to poke it away. So it was definitely easier uh, on that regard. One guy that I thought they couldn't handle at the beginning of the game, but slowly but surely were able to get better with was Alex Tuck, who's a handful wherever yeah. he plays. And, you know, the, the 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 speed on the outside to cut into the middle and, and the way that he's kind of able to make space for his teammates. Like, he was a chaos bomb for them in the first two periods. And, and you know, by the time you get to the third they started moving stuff around the center started coming closer to the to the to the wing on the rush you started noticing more of a tight unit defensing and really they're trying to squeeze a lot of their their wingers right now because the center line isn't exactly strong they're they're mostly young players right now so i found it interesting that st louis was kind of tweaking kind of the the way that they would defend on the rush as they went through the game uh but that's a kind of game that Caden Gooley sticks out in yeah, absolutely. He had a great game tonight. Uh, I thought him and uh, and Harris again were good. I I thought I liked some good plays from Arbor uh, Jackai tonight. Defensively, not as much, but offensively, he had some good plays. It, that defense just keeps on being okay. You know, like you yeah. keep waiting for a total blow up game where the young guys show how young they are, and I don't think we've seen it yet. Yeah, well, it's. I think it's a it's it's twofold. I think on one end, uh, last season was so terrible that <laughs> our expectations are in the gutter. Yeah, like <laughs> you know how bad it could be, but at the same time, Kane Gooley is, is is a legitimate you know top end defensive prospect that maybe has been probably for his benefit underhyped up until I would say his time with Edmonton uh, with the Oil yeah. Kings last year. Uh, but you know, Jacki having been a relative unknown because of that lost OHL season and Jordan Harris just consistently being that like underlying number killer, but also not a super flashy player. Like you're not expecting these guys to thrive. And so I think that that's what allows them to be so good. One thing that I like to just kind of bring to nuance is rookies tend to do well at the start of a season. Yes, it's- for sure when we get to like the holiday season where you start hitting that wall, that's why I keep telling people like, enjoy this because they're showing you what they can do in this situation, conditioning, timing, learning how to be a pro that's all going to come with it. But if they can do this now, then it's going to be really nice in two years from now. Um, you know, and, and then for those that, you know, want to see them play well, but eventually start losing that may come later on down the line as other yeah. teams kind of, but just natural, just naturally yeah. it will come down the line. Right. I mean, it's that those games like game 40 to 60, which are, it's the most boring section of the season outside of like trade deadline. Right. It's where everybody knows basically what's going to happen for the rest of the regular season. The teams that are out are, they just want the season to end already, you know, and the games don't really seem to matter as much at that stage. And then you've got like the trade deadline and the run up to the playoffs where things get exciting again. But that section is where you see rookies start to really tail off and the energy gets lower. I, th- I feel like we saw it with Nick Suzuki in his rookie season, right? That section of the season where you could tell he was not 100% anymore. Injuries start to pile up, but you're still playing through it. 
it's it's tough. It's tough. 82 games is a lot for anybody, and it's a lot for anybody in their first time. Well, yeah, and can you, you know, and I'm thinking about Arbor Jacki or, or a guy like Jordan Harris when I'm thinking about this, but these are not guys that are used to playing a lot of hockey over a long period of time. Jacki missed an entire season and, yeah, played about 70 games last year. But Jordan Harris has never played more than, like, 40 games in a season, 45 games in a season. So these are things that they're going to have to get used to. And by proxy, and then, you you know, and knock on wood, you throw in injuries, you throw in this, you throw in that. The more mature teams that are underwhelming, I'm thinking about Tampa Bay and, and waving, uh, those teams are going to start picking up. And I think that that's when you're going to see kind of an evening out. But it's important, in my opinion, it's important to appreciate what they're showing you now because when their times are going to get tougher, you know that that experience is only going to help them get to what you saw right now throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, a hundred percent. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about Mike Hoffman in a second here, but before I do, I got to tell everybody to, uh, hit the like on this video because that helps us grow. And if you're here and you're enjoying the show, share it on your social media. The more people that we have here, the more fun it is, right? The more comments we get in the stream chat, the more cool ideas that we get for conversation topics, the more interactive we get to be. And if you really like the show, well, make sure you subscribe to the SDPN YouTube channel, subscribe to our podcast feeds on uh, apple or spotify or wherever you get your podcasts it's there everywhere here there and everywhere so uh do that and then we'll talk about mike hoffman right now because uh i i gotta say marco i know what they're trying to do by putting hoffman on the top line they're trying to get him going right there's a a vested interest in trying to get this guy going both to trade him and just to not have it be miserable for both the player and the team but I, I think I'm I'm just done. I think that there's no way that this guy's gonna get going. I, I look at him every game and I counted three separate times in this game where either Caulfield or Suzuki had Hoffman coming either through the middle or like at the blue line in the middle on his zone entry, and they put a nice pass towards him. And I don't know if he thinks he's Mario Lemieux in the 2002 Olympics or something, but he just like watched it go through him. And like, there's no Paul Korea there, man. Like it's just the pucks going to the other team now or out of the zone. Like he just doesn't seem engaged to me. Yeah. I, I, which was a really rare move because, you know, Mark will tell you this, but uh, there's no shooting opportunity that Mike Hoffman will not take. Uh, <laughs> and I, I was really, I was really surprised by the fact that he didn't actually pounce on that. Um, it's something that I've started to notice a little bit more. You know, when I used to watch Mike Hoffman in Ottawa, you know, I'd, I'd always be wild because I think, well, this is a guy that's just a trigger man. Like, he just knows the puck's coming, just wind up. You know you know what to do. And since I've seen him with the Montreal Canadiens, I kind of ask myself the question, like, how has this player been so good for so long and yet not know the basics of, of where to position himself to complement the line? Because that is what he's always been, is, is a, a complementary player. This dating back to his, his QMJHL days, like, that, this is how it worked. And, you know, with Caulfield and Suzuki, it should be kind of easy to integrate yourself as kind of the third man, the trailer. Monahan did it quite well, um, but Hoffman has the wheels that Monahan doesn't, and you'd think that he'd be able to follow more. Unfortunately not, and I, I think it goes to hockey sense. I think to play with someone like Caulfield and Suzuki, you really have to know where to be on the ice. That's why a guy like Tyler Toffoli did so well, because... What he lacks in skating, he makes up in hockey sense. Yeah, he's a smart-ass player. And exactly that. And so, like, I, that's why those guys click. 
And I feel like the Canadians have been looking for that kind of a winger for them ever since he, they traded Tyler Toffoli, uh, ironically enough. So, you know, I, I think we're seeing them try every single possible option. And I think they don't want to go with three right-handed shots on the top line anymore, which is why they keep trying the left-handed guys. When he comes back to health, I would, and, and, and I know this is not something that's sustainable, but I would like to see them try your ice Lepkowski and that's, in that spot not because i think that that's where he's going to stay forever but like you want to see if something can click you're, you're in a situation when you want to develop kids and and you you know try it it's it's not like he's earned less of an opportunity than mike hoffman has yeah and now that he seems to be slowly catching up to like nhl speed right the last time the last preseason yeah. game where they were together he was like way behind them like just the speed of plays that they were making he couldn't keep up but the last couple games that he played, I thought he was starting to catch up. You know, like he still has some issues with finding the best play on the ice and not just doing what he thinks he should be doing without looking where his teammates are. But I feel like Slavkovsky, the the best thing that you could say about him this season is I think he's gotten better every single game. Now, who knows if he'll like fall back a little bit after missing some time, but it's worth a shot. Uh, I think even just to allow Monaghan and Doc to stick together because they seem to have yeah. so much chemistry, right? And it gives you a little bit of depth once those guys start to score a little bit outside of when one of them is with Caulfield and Suzuki. It, it's weird at this point. It, you know what? Actually, one thing I want to let's move on from Hoffman quickly, because I do want to talk about Josh Anderson. But aside from Josh Anderson, before we get to him, I want to talk about Brennan Gallagher, because obviously he's not the top line guy anymore. He's not being asked to do that, but he's on pace for a 30 goal season again. Weird goals tonight, for sure, but they're Gallagher goals. He's getting it done. I think, you know, we're not even... I don't think he's going to score at, 30. Let's put that Yeah, up. like, not even looking at the at the results, he's playing differently this year. He's yeah. not... He doesn't look deflated after a shift. You know, like, that's one of the things that it, it, we thought maybe it was conditioning, and then at the end of the presser, at the end of the season, he, like rolled out a scroll with all his injuries listed and like the scroll was like as big as as Jericho's moves in WCW like basically to the floor um he came ready this year he was in shape you saw from the first shift in training camp and he just you know he just looks like the Gallagher of old he may not necessarily be as effective as the Gallagher of old but the the, the effort level is there he's quicker on his feet um He's definitely looked faster than, than say, a, a Dadanov or a Dvorak. He's got jumped to his game. And that kind of a Gallagher is going to, by just the sheer amount of time he spends near the net or towards the net, is going to get results. Yeah. I think that's the difference in, in what we saw this year versus last year. Is that Last year, he would just, most of his offensive opportunities would just come in tight and he would miss or he would do this, he would do that. But that's not how he used to score. Deflections. Uh, going to the net, uh, putting pucks of all nature on net, not necessarily just from in tight, but from all over the place. And he's getting rewarded for it now. Yeah. And like I've mentioned a few times on the show, like he's skating this year in a way that yeah. we haven't seen him skate in two years. You know, like it's he, very he's so much more healthy and it's so obvious, right? That's why when he went into the boards the other game, I think everybody in, in the entire fan base yeah. was just like holding their breath, like, please don't let him blow his knee apart because it's the first time we've actually seen him like this in a long time. 
but it, it is great to watch it, and it's nice to see him have at least the beginnings of a comeback season that a lot of us predicted that he would have just by the fact that you can't write off a player who's had such supremely excellent results for so long off of one bad scoring year. One thing I'd like to see eventually once they start like juggling lines a little bit more as well, I do like the Monaghan doc combo, but I'd love to see them with Gallagher. Yeah. That would be that, that line would just be terrible. To, to play against in, in, in all facets, especially at five on five. Like I just, I don't know. It's something Doc and Gallagher and also Doc and Monahan. I feel like separately all kind of meld together. So if that could be a second line down the line, I, I think that would be pretty interesting. Yeah. They have options this year, which is, is just fun to play with. And you can tell that St. Louis is kind of having a little bit of fun tinkering things around. There's new lines tonight. And I, I feel like Gallagher being healthy gives them more options, of course, but the way Josh Anderson is playing this year, and I know he's not like absolutely ripping it up from the points perspective, although I think he got uh, one tonight. I have really enjoyed how much more he's using his speed and his body to get in on four checks to attack players in all three zones who have the puck just to create turnovers, right? He, he just seems to put a lot more pressure on opponents this year than at any point that I've watched him in a Habs jersey. He's so much more disruptive this year. He seems to be working a lot better along the wall as well. And I'd even go so far as to say that his passing has improved a little bit, which is a huge weakness in his game. I was actually going to say his passing improved. So he, the um, first thing I noticed with him is he changed his stick. He changed the the stick. That was the first thing that came to my mind because the passing is crisper, especially on his backhand. He could not make a backhand pass. The last couple of years uh, for the life of him, especially on the rush. And that's what inhibited him from having a more East-West kind of game 100%. once he got into the offensive zone. Even tonight, you saw him do it. Enter the zone and make a pass or enter the zone and make a play. And it's not just him going like a freight train and eventually just losing the puck behind the opposing net and going the other way like we saw so many times last year. And it's I think what's interesting, and, and, and it goes back to what, Martin St. Louis was saying about his game last year is it's he, they're trying to teach Josh how to slow his game down. And I think that that's the key is like, he's not in a rush to just go in a straight line and attack. Like it's, 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 he's not a running back anymore. He's trying to slow it down. And I think he's utilizing his teammates better. And although again, like you said, he's not necessarily getting the, the offensive number, although the last goal of the game winning goal of the game has now been credited to Josh Anderson. Oh, they're saying um, Gallagher didn't touch it? Okay, so he's not up yeah, to 30 anymore. <laughs> um, well, yeah, he'll get there if he keeps playing that way. But <laughs> Well, he's probably... Gonna, I, I would say Gallagher 20 to 25, just because the power play sucks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 20 to 25, I think, seems fair with the way he's been playing. And I mean, Josh Anderson, that would be his third goal uh, in the seven games. So he is trending for 30 goals. Um, but it's it's more the, the body of play. I don't feel like he's necessarily mm. hurt the offensive... Uh, opportunities in the offensive zone as he did last year. Last year was transition was great. And then that's it. Yeah. Or and I, I love what you said about slowing the game down because that's definitely true that Josh Anderson goes so fast sometimes that he lim like he runs himself out of options. Right. And then he well, gets stuck yeah. at the last second trying to cut in and he doesn't even have enough space. So he ends up trying to like jam the puck short side and like that just doesn't work on NHL goaltenders. Not, not exactly. It's it's something that worked really well for him in junior, but 
I think when you get to this stage, you have to think about the open man. You have to think that if you're the fastest person, then you got trailers behind you, right? Exactly. And I think that that's where slowing it down kind of comes in handy. And you've seen him do it, like basically come in at full speed and then back off. And I, that, at one point, I think that it was against uh, Detroit where he just kept going with like a freight train. And then the next game against the Capitals, he started stopping at at maybe the you know, the halfway point of the uh, the right circle. And you were kind of thrown away. You're like, oh, what, what's he doing here? And then pa- cross ice pass or, you know, pass off the rush. And you start wondering like, okay, well, here's this change of style. And it's one of the things that came to our attention last game where he's starting to do more cross ice passing. He's starting to do, he's starting to look for the teammate, not necessarily just in the front of the net or at the point, but he's going lateral now. And I think by, you know, making yourself a little bit less predictable and let's face it, he was incredibly predictable last year. He's adding to the offensive firepower of the team when they're in the zone. It's just, unfortunately the chemistry of the lines haven't been great at this point. Yeah, it's true. Although it seems like that uh, combination they found tonight with Gallagher, Anderson, and Dvorak, I feel like if Dvorak could match the intensity that the other two brought, it could really become something. But although even like Dvorak, I thought he had two plays tonight where he passed the puck right across an open goal, which could have been like easy tap in goals, but neither Anderson or Gallagher could get their sticks on them. So there's Mm -hmm. something there. It just, you know, I, I say I say it hasn't converted yet, but they scored two tonight, right? Like, yeah, line was very effective. So we'll see how it goes over the next couple of games. I'm sure that this game earned them some time together. All right, I I did want to talk about Caden Gooley for a little bit because as much as you know he's been earning his flowers, playing way above his head as a first pair defenseman, essentially this entire season at 20 years old. Obviously, his underlying numbers are terrible, but you can tell just by watching him. That's not necessarily telling you what's actually going on. Got his first goal tonight. And uh, shout out to Kay in the chat because she's all about Caden Gooley. But I will say, aside from Caden Gooley being great, David Savard, two primary assist night, just like we all predicted. David Savard is kind of an anomaly. Like He's going to have nights like this where he's going to get points. And he's also going to have nights where he actually looks good uh on the uh, uh in terms of underlying numbers tonight was the former not the latter um it's what i've liked in terms of what he does is he balances things off with Gooley quite well so like if there's ever like too much pressure Gooley can you know look cross ice and know he can get the pass over to savard because savard's going to play back i don't think we've noted we've seen savard so far this season compromise himself positionally uh outside of maybe the offensive zone defensive zone neutral zone he's been solid that's allowed Caden Gooley to kind of do his thing and we saw it again today in the offensive zone on Gooley's first goal if we were in the bell center you would have heard shoot a mile away everybody would have been screaming it but he took that extra second to allow Gooley to position himself on the circle take that shot and I think that that kind of experience is super valuable, especially when you're kind of bringing along a guy who could, with the way he's playing, potentially be 
a, a top pairing guy for the Canadians down the line. He's not necessarily going to be a top pairing defenseman, but he could be for the Canadians. And if he continues to grow, who knows? But having a guy like that for Caden Gooley is is really you know interesting. It kind of brings up you know how when PK Subban came along, you had a veteran like Josh Georges around to kind of like teeter the two, and then eventually Markov to teeter the two when they played on the power play. It's something that you need. Although I I kind of wish that Arbor Jack guy had a little bit more help on on his defensive pair with with Chris Weidman. Uh, you see the value that Savard brings to a guy like Gooley. Yeah, I feel like that's going to come when either Edmondson or uh, Matheson come back, right? And then you'll see a little bit more helpful veteran presence. No offense to Chris Weidman, yeah. who everybody loves Chris Weidman. He's a good guy, but I think he'd be the first scratch uh, when one of those guys come back, in my opinion, even though he's you know on the right side and they're short on right side D. I think I'd rather play somebody on their offside. He's just, I don't know, not very effective. Well, I take him off. The I, I, I would as well. be uh, I would be interested with in uh, like you know when when Edmondson say Edmondson and Matheson do come back, I'd be interested in putting Jordan Harris on the right, yeah, and having him line up with an Edmondson and that be kind of like a shutdown style defensive pair. Yeah, I I think that'd be a great idea. Harris seems to be excelling no matter what they ask him to do right now, so. Give him another challenge. Just... Throw challenges at these kids. That's what the whole season is for. I do want to shout out to, to Rock Smasher in the chat saying uh, David Savard was like 90th percentile in all D-men and even strength offense like three years ago. Analytics like him. I, three years ago. Three years is a long time for a guy in their 30s. He's like first percentile in offense the last three years, though. And he has some value defensively. I think here's my thing about David Savard is I think he's doing everything that he could possibly do in a situation that he's not suited for. Like he should be a third pairing defenseman and he's playing first pair minutes, top pat top matchup minutes with a young rookie. He's putting like every tiny bit of effort that he can muster into every shift that he's playing this year. And I think he's actually been pretty darn good. I know the analytics are terrible, but I think there's some things with like expected goals that you don't catch with like pressuring opponents, getting sticks in lanes, getting your feet in the middle of passes, stuff like that, that I think Gooley is learning from him and that Savard is doing very well. My big thing with Savard is if the Canadians were to retain half of his salary, how many teams out there would be willing to take him come trade deadline? Cause with how well the rookies are playing, I don't think they can actually have a long time in this season where you have Edmondson, Matheson, and Savard all in the lineup at the same time. And Matheson's the one they obviously want to keep. But mm -hmm. I think Savard might actually have some trade value. I honestly think it's the uh, the third member you you haven't factored in, in Edmondson that may be the odd man out. Yeah, I, I thought because... about that, but and the assistant captain thing makes me think, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I get, like, background images of, like, Mike Keane being traded as captain of the Montreal Canadiens within True. Like, months of being named captain. Um, but the way that I see it is is that you have three left defensemen as rookies on your team right now. All three of them look like they're NHL-caliber defensemen at this moment, at, at right now. Throughout the season, you'll you'll have a decision, but there was significant interest in in Edmondson from what we were told over the last eight months. 
Um, you know, this despite his like year long injury. And yeah. from what we've also been told is that the cost of top four defensemen going into this trade deadline is probably going to be a first round pick at least. We saw what Kent Hughes did to trade a guy like Ben Sherratt for the haul that he got. And we'll see where that first round pick lands. But Joel Edmondson is not, I, I wouldn't say he's he's not worth his contract. I think he's he's more, he, you know, 3.5 or 3.25, I think, is his salary. And I think that's it's fair. the going rate. Yeah. And he's got an extra year. So a team that would be looking for him would, would make a ton of sense. A guy like David Savard having, I believe, two years after this one as well. So like it's, it's a, a lot tougher. Deal. Yeah. It's just, I don't think it makes much sense. Your most tradable piece on defense, in my opinion, has to be Edmondson. And he's probably the one that has the highest peak value at this point. And again, three right shot rookie, uh, three left shot rookie D's. Uh, you have Norlander, who's playing some pretty solid hockey right now with Laval. Uh, last couple of games has been pretty impressive. Um, you know, so William Trudeau is signed. You acquire a guy like Baudin as well uh, from Chicago. Like your left defensive pipeline is set said for and, and and lane hudson is making magic and in, in, with boston university so like you're set on that front you can make that move because you went and got a guy like michael matheson yeah i honestly i wonder do you think lane hudson ends up playing on the right side just because you know he's gonna be a guy who you want to produce offense anyway having him essentially on the side that he's gonna produce offense from with as a one-timer option as a like pinch down to smack the puck in the net as like Markov used to. I would love to see in the future, a couple years from now, Elaine Hudson, Caden mm-hmm. Gooley pairing. I just feel like that combination of physicality, skating and ridiculous creativity would be incredibly fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, there's, there was a, uh, I think we were putting together like D pairings and we were at one point we were just kind of like, okay, well, where's everybody going to fit? Because this isn't this isn't gonna work, and so it either came to putting Jordan Harris on the right side or putting Lane Hudson on the top pair right side. And I think there's an aspect to that which, which would make a lot of sense, and that would be like you said, being able to he's gonna be playing on the right side anyway on the power play, so why not just like make the full transition? But on the flip side, one of the things that makes Lane Hudson unique is his transition ability. Right. And I feel like on the forehand to the backhand, playing on the right side, you may be hampering that because what he likes to do is kind of move laterally in the neutral zone when he's under pressure to make the pass to the trailer at the center line to me- then create the zone entry. Or it helps him attack directly when he's got the puck on his forehand when he's in the zone because he could beat the defenseman, you know, f- you know, in a in a foot race. I don't feel like he would have that advantage on his offside. Um, and that's more like, that's why I prefer a guy like Jordan Harris in that situation, because that's not his game. Right. Although his transition ability is great, it's because of his thinking that it's great. So you can do that on one side or another because he's a cerebral type player. I feel like Hudson is more electric. That's the kind of guy you want to kind of put on his strong side. All right. I love it. We'll see how it goes uh, as the Canadians transition all these young defensemen into the NHL, because that seems to be well, where their prospect pool is strongest overall is left side yeah. defenseman specifically but uh yeah i think that's uh all we had to talk about this game actually before i let you go marco because i know you're heavy into the prospects who are you watching most closely right now 
like this year for Montreal Canadiens prospects that aren't on the team? Um, I would definitely go with uh, Lane Hudson and Owen Beck. Definitely. And now that Philip Meshar is playing in Kitchener, well, that's that's definitely a guy that came to my mind. Um, but the one I think has the most approved this season and I think is going to be really fun to watch is Sean Farrell. I think not a lot of people are talking about him. And unfortunately, the reason why is because his season only starts tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> it's very delayed. Everybody else has been playing since the beginning of the month of October, but Harvard and the ECAC start Friday. Um, so, you know, he spoke to him yesterday. He seems very excited about a season, very excited about, you know, a potential future with the Canadians as well. And, you know, he's friends with a few people on the Habs as well. Jordan Harris and him grew up not too far from each other. And, um, you know, him and Matthew Coronado, the first round pick for, uh, for the Calgary Flames, those are two guys that are probably going to carry that team. But if, if I could bring it back to, to Meshar and, and Owen Beck, um, I would expect those two to be very close to the top of the scoring race uh, in the OHL by, I would say, the holidays. Uh, Meshar just looks unreal. And uh, GM Mike McKenzie had absolutely nothing but praise and praise for him, just saying how the team has completely changed uh, with his acquisition and how the forward groups are are now perfectly balanced. Yeah, he has been incredible in the first, I think, three games junior that he's played. Uh, yeah. The first two games, especially the overtime goal, just sick amount of skill from Meshar. And yeah, I don't know why Sean Farrell goes so under the radar among Canadians fans. Maybe it's because he's a fourth round pick. So they see fourth round pick five foot nine and assume that it's, you know, a, a huge long shot for him to make the NHL. But everywhere so. he's gone, he's just had a ridiculous amount of success. He just seems like such a smart player, especially offensively. You know who he kind of reminds me of, but on a more skilled level, is Jake Evans. Where like every time I would watch Jake Evans as he was taking a very long time to make the NHL, but he seemed to make progress yeah. every single year. And everywhere he went, he was a key player. And I was like, this kid, he's a long shot to make the NHL. And here we are, where Jake Evans is a really good player. You know, like yeah, he's he's earned solid. his contract. And Sean Farrell's probably going to get there too. Yeah, Sean Farrell is going to be a, uh, you know, it's one of those guys where he kind of likes to model his game after uh, Clayton Keller in, in Arizona. That's the player that he kind of pointed out. And when you look at him, you kind of see what he's talking about, that speed, puck possession, the control, outthinking his player, you know, not being the biggest guy. Like I think, at you know, he's 5'10", Clayton Keller. So they're about the same size. And just being able to be that shifty and, you know, that's something he's thought about. It's something that he's worked on all summer. Uh, I think he's up to 175 now. So at 5'9", 175, you're you're pretty much getting there. Um, so I, I think this is an individual who's ready, who's mature, and, you know, wanted one more crack at the NCAA before making a jump to the pros. And I think Canadians fans will quickly be enamored with him in the same way that we're quickly enamored with uh, players like Caden Gooley or Arbor Jackai right now. Yeah, it's a good time to be a fan, honestly. There's very little pressure. You get to watch the young kids play and develop. You're not really worried about wins or losses. It's great. It's a great time. All right. Thanks for joining me, Marco. It was uh, really fun chatting with you. Uh, before we close things out, tell everybody where they can find your work. Uh, you can find me at Montreal Hockey Now with uh, sometime co-host Mark Dumo. Um <laughs> 
And you can find me on Twitter at MNDomico. Uh, basically, ring us up anytime. Perfect. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in tonight. We'll be back at it on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, smash that like button, I guess, as all the YouTubers say. So do it. Ring the bell. Subscribe. Do all that stuff. Share the show on social media. Tell everyone how much you like it. If you have Habs fans, friends, tell them how cool the show is. We have better analysis than you'll hear on radio postgame shows where Uncle Jack calls in and talks about how the goalie needs to be traded. It's way better here. All right? We'll see you next week. Or see you next time.